Breitbart News Daily. Mike Slater, thanks for being here. Today's show, we talked to Dan Gaynor, talked to Ken Klukowski, Breitbart senior, senior legal analyst, talked about some Supreme Court stuff, and also Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House. They've known each other for the last 13 years. So we talked about uh, how we're both very excited. High hopes, Ken said. And it's just fascinating. To see, it's going to be fascinating to see how a man of, uh, of with, with uh, who's kind, <laughs> like a kind man with the fruits of the spirit, throw him in to the lion's den that is Congress. And how's it going to go? How's he going to do? We shall see. Excited for that. And then we talked with Joel Pollack, who's back from his trip in Israel and debriefed all of that. So it's a busy show today. I uh, want to play in a minute. We'll play uh, an interview about Douglas Mackey, who was put in prison for seven months about a meme he sent to his 58,000 Twitter followers that said, avoid the line, vote by phone, text Hillary to 95525. And he got seven months in prison. And here I think is the worst part about it. And the lawyer who we talked to gave some more details, but he wasn't charged with a crime. This was in 2016. So he wasn't charged with a crime until right after Joe Biden took office. So it was four years of the Trump presidency, and, and that was no problem because, of course, it's ridiculous to charge someone for a crime. But as soon as Joe Biden's team took over, boom, they went back and got him for what he sent four years ago. They can get you. They'll get anyone. If they want to get you, they'll get you. And now he's going to jail for seven months. It is, it's insane. When I first heard the story, it was like two weeks ago, and I haven't stopped thinking about how unjust that is. So we'll talk with uh, that lawyer coming up in a little bit. But speaking of justice, uh, we did an introduction to just war theory in light of Israel and uh, Hamas, which is now all kicking up here. So we give the update on the news, and then we break that down into some uh, further analysis here. So the attacks in Gaza have begun and do not be fooled by the promises of Iraq or Afghanistan or Ukraine. This will be a long war. Even this. That needs to be the default. I've, I've had this default over the last 20 years that wars will be quick. Quick and easy and tidy. And see, you, you would think this one would be too. But no, it won't be. It'll be a long war. So the latest is uh, IDF, Israeli Defense Forces. They released some pictures of Israeli armored vehicles on the beach in Gaza. They say they've killed the leader of Hamas's aerial operations. I, I imagine that like Hamas doesn't have a lot of aerial operations other than rockets. It's not like they have an air force. So... Uh, they say he's dead. And Israel showed some drone footage of them blowing up a building that they said was he was in it, but I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> I mean, it's like black and white drone footage from above. I don't know what that is. Uh, and then they say they killed the guy who planned the October 7th attack, which began all of this, and a couple of the top guys. So uh, that's good. If your goal is to kill Hamas, here you're killing some of the top guys. Now Hamas says they've uh, that Israel has killed a lot of their hostages. 
as well, but no idea if that's true. Uh, that, that would be something you would say if you wanted them to stop bombing. Oh, you're killing your own guys. Netanyahu says this is the second stage of the war whose goals are clear to destroy Hamas. Excuse me, to destroy Hamas's governing and military capabilities and to bring the hostages home. They didn't, so you know, they, they've been doing the siege for the last three weeks. And the siege did not end with the hostages being released. Because that's the point, right? Well, we're going we're gonna to starve everyone out and then they're going to give up the hostages. That's the point of the siege. And I'm guessing it didn't work because Hamas, like Hamas and their leadership and their men were so well stocked with what they need. They got plenty of food underground. They got plenty of fuel underground. That's what the, the, like, uh, the Hamas propaganda complaining that we're running out of fuel. The people are running out of fuel. But Hamas has plenty of fuel. I guess they need fuel to run the ventilation systems underground and stuff like that. So they got, they got plenty of fuel. And they don't give a lick about the people above the ground. In fact, the worse off the people are above the ground, the better for them. They win the propaganda war. Every, so every siege in history, they, they, like it would only work because you have the leaders inside the surrounded fortress who care at least somewhat about their people. And they don't want their people to be hurt anymore, so they give up. So that's what that would... So right, that's, that's the essence of the siege is there's the assumption that the leadership doesn't want their people to die either. <laughs> Are you with me? Like the invading army wants the, all the people inside to die. The people inside, the leadership inside the castle doesn't want their people to die. So now we have a conflict here. But when you have the people inside the fortress who also want their people to die, uh, the siege isn't going to work. Or it's, it's not going to result in the hostages being released. Any siege, the soldiers are always going to be fed first. It's just how long can they hold out before the people revolt. But in this case, Hamas could hide underground forever, and the people above ground is going to die of starvation, and then still Hamas wins because the world feels bad for them. So the siege did not have the end goal that they wanted. So now Israel's got to go in on foot. Meanwhile, the president of Turkey is pro-Palestine in Gaza, and he said he may come to Gaza's aid. He spoke at a huge rally. So, so in America, the, the pro-Palestine rallies in America are shockingly, like un, un, uh, unacceptably big. Like I had no idea that there are this many pro-Palestine and pro-Hamas people in my country, but okay. London, they're way bigger in London. But they're huge in Turkey. This pro-Palestine, this rally, hundreds of thousands of people at this rally. And the president of Turkey called what Israel is doing a massacre and said Turkey can come at any night unexpectedly. And the crowd was chanting Turkish military to Gaza. Uh-oh. He's blaming the Jews for causing a holocaust. He said in the past they were massacring the Jewish people in the gas chambers. A similar mentality is being shown in Gaza today. This is one. Of, this is the thing. I guess uh, G, Gigi is it Gigi Hadid or Gigi Hadid? Is that the model? 
That's Bella and Gigi. Their dad uh, made some post. It's like a big real estate developer, maybe. His dad, uh, Mohammed Hadid, uh, made some post comparing the Nazis with the Jews. <laughs> I got cheese. But that's the thing. Oh, look at it. Just like the Nazis hurt people. And look, now they're hurting people. They're the same. President Turkey said his government is preparing to tell the whole world that Israel is a war criminal. On the home front, 7,000 pro-Palestinian protesters shut down the Brooklyn Bridge. So again, in Turkey, you have hundreds of thousands of protesters. In America, in in New York City, 7,000 shut down the Brooklyn Bridge. There's 7,000 too many. Freedom by any means. Land back by any means, declared Dorian, a 24-year-old protester from Queens. I believe the settler state of Israel must be taken down. Did you know there are this many of these people in your country? Some of them are in power. AOC, 2 million people, half children, starved, bombed, cut from communication. Have those facilitating this thought much about the future this leaves us? No. Some may dismiss a ceasefire as naive or worse. Yet who has a plan for what follows this destruction? What do we call that? Well, there doesn't need to be this. Hamas needs to release the hostages and then they need to surrender. That's it. Then there'll be no fighting. But they won't. So they'll die. And they'll use human shields. And then AOCs of the world will say, oh, look, Israel's bad. There's a very interesting book that I read the last week. It's called Just and Unjust Wars. A moral argument with historical illustrations. This is what we're all going to be faced with this next couple weeks, months, as this war drags on. They all do. So we're going to be faced with this, and you're going to be inundated with this. You're going to be bombarded with propaganda from the left, from Hamas, about how terrible Israel and you and the West is. So this book, Just and Unjust Wars, a moral argument with historical illustrations by Michael Walzer. It's a surprisingly easy read. I don't want to talk about it. We're going to talk about it a lot this week. So here's my understanding of how non-combatants work. in war like this. Because Israel's coming in and they're gonna, the claim is that Israel, oh, Israel's committing war crimes. Look, a civilian died. Look at these civilians who died. Half children. Bombed. Without food, fuel, internet. Oh, Israel's war crimes. You're going to hear that nonstop. Hamas says 7,000 Palestinians have been killed so far. Now, I don't believe anything Hamas says, by the way. Also, I'm also, I also don't, you should be skeptical of anything anyone says, to be clear. And I don't trust what Israel says perfectly either. But I certainly don't trust Hamas. So what is a just war? So you have two different distinctions here. First, you have what is necessary to start a just war or engage in a just war. And then once you're in the war, 
what are the proper limitations to it as you're fighting, right? See the beginning of it, like what starts it, and then as you're fighting it. On the first point, to start a just war, does Israel have a right to attack Hamas? Well, yes, that's, that's easy. 1,400 Israelis were killed. Terrorist attack. Yes, Israel has the right, if not duty or obligation as a nation to defend themselves and eliminate that threat for their citizens. Done. So yes, they have the, it's a just war to engage. There's no question about that. Now, is everything they do from that point forward, therefore just? No, not necessarily. That's always up for the debate. But do they have the right to engage in war? Yes. So done, check, that's off the list. So now the question is, how do you properly engage in a war? We're in it. And it is, we are, we are just in engaging. And again, we mentioned this last week, the social justice crowd has not said the word justice since October 7th. They're not truly concerned about justice. It is justice for Israel to defend itself and prevent this from happening again. That is just. But now that they're in it, what do we do? So there are rules of engagement that have, have started to be formed thousands of years ago. And there's all these different iterations of, of what you can do, what you can't do. And then new weapons are inv- invented. So now, okay, now we got new rules of engagement. All these rules of engagement. Afghanistan had rules of engagement. Iraq had rules of engagement. And there's, there's for thousands of years they have. So let's, let's uh, just to make the point that these go back a long time. Let's talk about some rules of engagement that are in Deuteronomy. Some Old Testament rules of engagement. Deuteronomy 20. When you besiege a city for a long time, a siege, that's what we just had in Gaza City. When you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy, here it is, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. So there's already thousands of years ago, this nuance of how you are allowed properly to engage in certain types of warfare. When you besiege a city for a long time, you're allowed to do this, but not that. Are the trees in the field, uh, only the trees that you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down that you may build siege works against the city that you make war with. Uh, Excuse me, that makes war with you until it falls. So you can't cut down the trees that produce fruit. You can cut down trees for the wood to make weapons, but not the ones that produce fruit. Fruit. Why not? Why those distinctions? Well, a couple of reasons. But the point is, you focus your target on the target and the reasons they're attacking you. The trees didn't hurt you. <laughs> and at that time, it was common practice to completely destroy the land that you were invading. So every other country was destroying everything, salting the earth. And God said, nope, can't do that. You can't destroy these types of trees. These fruit trees, you got to leave. that interesting? So here's one. Uh, when, this is more in Deuteronomy. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. So you got to give a chance. You got to give a chance. And uh, Israel's tried that for a long, long, long time. Remember, 
And have we done a proper segment on this? I don't know if we have. Israel had a work a work permit program for the people of, of Gaza. A work, like, so you can come across the fence, the wall, and you can come and work. And the idea was, oh, if we build a relationship, if we have an economic relationship with the people of Gaza, then they won't want to attack us anymore because they'll come over here and they'll see that we're like, we're good people and, and we have a bunch of Arabs who live here and we, we, we open Muslims can come here and it's like, it's all good. So we'll have, we'll have some cross-cultural exchange. They'll come here, they'll like us. Also, uh, we'll make it a law that if you employ anyone in this Gaza work program, if you're in Israel and you employ someone, you have to pay them a pension. You have to pay them a, a proper wage. You have to treat them right. And then that will build up economically the people in this city so they won't want to kill us anymore. They did that, but 100,000 people were in the program. And so it didn't work, clearly. So what are they saying? Oh, well, it, wasn't, we didn't, it wasn't big enough. We needed more work permits. We only opened up the work permit program to people over the age of 27, but the people become radicalized against us at a younger age. So we really needed to open that program to younger men. And, and a lot of these people on work permits use their work permit to come across the border and then kill a bunch of Israelis. So there was many efforts by Israel to make peace with this, this government and with the individual people in it. And Hamas did not want that. They didn't want it. They gave him a chance. And now Hamas wants a ceasefire, but they don't want peace. So that's the thing. That's what Deuteronomy says. Offer terms of peace to it. Remember, there's a difference between a truce and a peace. I feel like people don't make this distinction. There's a difference between a truce and a peace. Truces are easier. Truces are, I won't shoot you, you don't shoot me. We're just not going to shoot each other for a while until one of us decides to start shooting each other. But we're, we're, we're going to stop with the sh- killing for a minute. Peace is true reconciliation. True, peace is true righteousness. Peace, uh, peace is not just the absence of war. Peace is something bigger and bigger than 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 that. It's it's something real. It's something added to that brings a reconciliation and an understanding and a working together. That's peace. Truce is just you know we can still hate each other. We're just not going to kill each other right now. Hamas is not calling for peace. They don't want peace. They want a truce. They want to they want to punch you in the face and then say up oh, truce truce truce. So rules of engagement as you're, as Israel is fighting this war. This has all been thought out before, and the people who are writing articles about it have no idea what they're talking about. They've never, they've never thought about this. Everything that Israel is going to do from this point forward is a war crime. Just hear, it. Just hear that from, from uh, the media's perspective. Everything Israel does is a war crime. Every single thing. Because the people who are writing these articles have never thought about just war theory and proper uh, fighting in wars and the rules of modern warfare. So there's a bunch. There's tons of rules. So one rule in modern warfare, and I don't know how relevant this one is, but just to, just to show the the old, just like Deuteronomy, oh, you can not you can chop down these trees, but not these trees. Like that type of nuance, and there, it's here too. So if there's a pilot who bails out of their aircraft in distress, you're not allowed to shoot him on his way down. There he is. He's a sitting duck. What do you mean I can't? He's floating down to earth. I can't shoot him and just pick him off and be done. Nope, can't do it. Not allowed. You have to try and find them and then make them a prisoner. But then when you go and you find them, let's say he's trying to escape. 
then you can kill him. Or if he's doing, uh, you know, he's trying to kill you or do, do uh, you know, he's fighting. If he's fighting, then yeah, you can kill him. But if he gives up, you can't kill him. But if it's a special forces or a sniper or airborne troops and they're jumping out of their airplane like as part of a mission, then yes, you can't shoot him out of the sky. So it's the distressed airplane. You're not allowed to, the guy, right? The airplane's crashing and he, and he jumps out. You're not allowed to shoot him then, right? So there's tons of rules like this. Now, the question is, what do you do if you're fighting in a war where the enemy doesn't give a rip about the rules? To what length, and this is what Israel is contending with right now, it's a very serious question. <laughs> to what length do you hold yourself to a standard when the enemy has no standards? What do you do? Do you obey all the rules? Well, let's be real. You can be practical. You can't fully do that. You may lose. You may lose the war. Oh, well, I lost with dignity. It's not a game here. Okay, so you disobey some of the rules. You break some of the rules. Which ones? Just enough so you still win. How about that? Or do you just say, well, to heck with it. I guess we're not playing by any rules. So, game on. What do you do? And I think uh, from this book, Just and Unjust Wars, it seems like it's that second thing. And so it seems like that's the answer from Michael Walzer here. Is that you, you have the standards and you stay as noble as you can for as long as you can in every way that you can until it results in you maybe not winning. And then it's permissible to break the rules as much as is necessary to actually win. That, that seems to be the, the just war standards of today. I'll give an example. 638 BC. We're going back in time now. 638 BC. 2,600 years ago. Isn't that crazy? There was a battle in central China. And one of the armies was led by Duke, and I don't know how to pronounce the last, Duke, Duke Song. We'll call it Duke Song. That can't be right, though. H-S-I-A-N-G. Siang. Is that it? Duke Siang. But how can there be a Chinese guy named Duke I guess we call him Duke. I don't know. It's real, though. It's a real story. Just don't know the names. It's a long time ago. Duke, we'll go, we'll go with Duke Song for our purposes here. H-S-I-A-N-G if you want to Google it, look it up. So you got, the, you got the Duke, right? And the enemy soldiers were fording a river. So they were vulnerable. And the Duke's top minister, he said, Sir, there are many. They are many. And we are few. Pray let us attack them before they are all crossed over. This is our chance. We've got to get them. Kill them now. Look at them. They're four in the river. They're sitting docks. Let's get them. And the duke refused. He said, no. It's not noble to fight when they're like that. So they crossed. 
And then once they all crossed over, they, they had to reform their lines, and there was confusion in their ranks. And uh, they had a perfect opportunity to strike again. They're, they're, they're vulnerable still. And the, 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 the guy, top minute, the top advisor guy goes to the Duke. He said, we got to kill him. we got to go now. This is our chance. And the Duke again refused. says, no, I won't. So the Duke waited until the enemy was ready. And then they had a proper battle. Gentlemen to gentlemen. And they were crushed. The Duke was. The Duke was crushed. Like they, they all died. Except for the Duke, he survived. And he said later, the superior man does not inflict a second wound. What does that mean? That means uh, uh, like you take your prisoners properly. Like you don't attack and then someone's hurt and then you, you hit them when they're down. You don't hit them when they're down. That's what that is. The superior man does not hit them when they're down and does not take prisoner anyone of gray hairs. So we have, we have distinct rules about who are even allowed to take prisoners. We let, we let everyone else go. When the ancients had their armies in the field, isn't this great? This was 636, 638 BC. And here's this guy talking about people back in the day. When the ancients had their armies in the field, they did not attack an enemy when he was in a defile. I think that means when they're not organized. I think that's what that means. They didn't attack their enemy when, he was, when the enemy was disorganized. And though I am but the poor representative of a fallen dynasty, I will not sound my drums to attack an unformed host. Ah, the good old days. Huh? So I don't know. How do you feel when I share that story? How do you feel? So he's like, I'm not, listen, we're going to have a proper battle here. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a noble man, just like my forefathers. I'm not going to attack a man when he's down. We're going to do this right. We're going to do this proper. And then they, all, they lost. How do you feel? But do you have a little bit inside of you that's like, well, you know, that, that is right. He did the right thing. Or no, you idiot. What are you doing? The point is to win and you lost. So what good is your nobility? What good is your honor? Maybe all you have. Oh, I know that's tricky, right? So the reason this story is well known is because when Mao came to power, now we're going to be in a tricky situation here where you may be in agreement with Chairman Mao. I know that's an uncomfortable place to be, but alas. Mao came to power. And he said, we are not Duke Song Xiang. We are not. <laughs> it's like we, we're not going to do that stupid thing that that guy did. We have no use for his idiotic virtue and morality. Some translations have that asinine. We have no use for his asinine virtue and morale. Asinine means extremely foolish or stupid. We have no use for that, Chairman Mao said. We have no use for this so-called nobility that turns into foolishness. Let me take a break here. This chapter, this paragraph I want to read here. I got to find it. <laughs> I think here it is. Yeah, here it is. But let me stop because I want you to think about this. The Duke of Sung. Maybe that's how it's pronounced. Sung. So what do you do? What do you th- how do you feel about the Duke? 
And how do you feel about Chairman Mao's stance on that? These, these ethics. You're like, oh, so this is thousands of years ago. No, no, it's literally today. Like right today, Monday, October 30th, they're dealing with this very issue in Israel right now. How are we to engage in a war against people who don't follow the rules of war? Now know that whatever Israel does, they'll be called war criminals. So you can't even consider it that way. It's just, it's what is proper for Israel. Like, to what lengths are they, should they go in order to win? They've done a lot of the things. They've done a lot. Given warning and all the rest. But how far will they go? How far should they go? Douglas Mackey, welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. This Douglas Mackey story is just, uh, it's, it's horrific. This will be one that we remember, or we'll look back on. <laughs> we won't remember it because most people don't know about it, but we'll look back on it and be like, oh, yeah, that should have been a warning. That should have been a warning. Here's the story. So I first heard this case, well, a couple months ago, and it didn't really click on my radar for whatever reason. And then I read that this, uh, on Breitbart.com, of course, that this guy got seven months in jail. And not only has this been on my radar in the last two weeks or so that this happened, I can't stop thinking about this. I cannot stop thinking about this case. And I don't think it got nearly enough attention, at least in what I'm looking at it from my perspective, it hasn't got nearly enough attention. So I must get to the bottom of this case because this is so, so wildly unacceptable. At least my interpretation of it. Maybe there's things I'm missing. James Lawrence is here. He was the attorney who defended Douglas Mackey, the man in question. Mr. Lawrence, how are you, sir? Hey, Mike. I, I'm well. How are you doing? You're doing Thanks really for having me on your show. And just to, just to note, I, I represent Doug's Legal Defense Fund. I actually did not try the case, but I'm very, very familiar with what happened. Just Super. To, to note that off, very good. Thank off, you. Uh, off the bat. Yes. Uh, what did Douglas Mackey do? So he was charged under Title 18 of the United States Code, Section 241, which is a provision in the Ku Klux Klan Act. So this was a statute that was passed after the Civil War that was really aimed at protecting the rights of newly freed slaves in the American South to exercise their right to vote. And... The, the statute has largely uh, laid, laid dormant, um, for the most part, uh, outside of specific civil rights prosecutions in the civil rights era. Um, and in fact, was rolled out in this case in an attempt to, from um, our vantage point, criminalize political speech in violation of the First Amendment. Important for your audience to know in terms of the actual charges that were against uh, Doug Mackey in this trial. It was not uh, allegations that he committed voter fraud or even that he attempted to commit voter fraud. If you look at the language of the statute, what he was charged with was conspiring with two or more persons to injure other individuals in their exercise of their constitutional right to vote. 
So in that regard, Mike, the government, neither at the initial indictment stage or ultimately at trial, the government did not produce a single person, not one voter, not even a single voter that said that they saw the means at issue in this case and did not vote as a result of viewing them. And when I say the memes at issue in this case, I'm talking about the the memes that uh, Mr. Mackey posted on uh, Twitter or alleged to have posted on on Twitter, inviting supporters of Hillary Clinton to text their vote by um, by by submitting their their yeah. uh, so submitting a text message to a particular number. Yeah, so here um, was the, the tweet. The, the tweet the tweet was November first, yeah. twenty sixteen. And we'll get to the fact that this happened seven years ago in a minute as well. And there's a picture yeah. of a, a black woman standing in front of a sign, like a Hillary sign. And it said in big letters it says, Avoid the line, vote from home. Text Hillary to five nine nine two five. And then it said, Vote for Hillary and be a part of history. That meme he sent out to 58,000 followers, not that many, or I mean, like a lot, but not, that's not like, like million, right? 58,000 followers. He sent that meme and that got him seven months in jail. Is there anything else to this story? Like, did he do other memes? Did he, did he take other efforts beyond that, that the, the government has accused him of doing? Uh, outside, outside of publishing those, those and, and similar memes, there might have been a, a, a couple more that the government introduced at trial. Um, and it's important for your audience to note, the tweets were, were made under an account, I believe it was Ricky Vaughn 99. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you have to look at these things in context. These kinds of cases are extraordinarily fact dependent. They're context specific. And, and the, the account itself the avatar for the account was the, the the character from Major League in a very cartoonish pose, wearing a MAGA hat. Maybe even at some point uh, along the lines, having you know laser beams um, coming out of of the person's eyes. No no rational person, Mike, looking at that um, would 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 perceive it as again looking at that in context would perceive that as coming from the the Hillary Clinton campaign. And, and in fact, the, the, the meme itself and, and the, to the extent it was interacted with um, and to the extent that people actually texted that number, it was in large part from the defense's view of this case because the media picked it up and, and started reporting. Oh, interesting. Uh, and, and by the way, the campaign quickly, quick, quickly uh, dismissed the notion that it was an official ad or that anybody could could text to vote. But again, Douglas Mackey was prosecuted anyway under a, a, a radical extension of the Ku Klux Klan Act. And this is another thing that's important for your audience to, to know. And that is that Congress has repeatedly considered amending election laws to to get at so-called political disinformation and misinformation. They looked at it repeatedly, and Congress has repeatedly declined to actually enact laws, to enact statutes that would, that would deal with the conduct that's at issue in this case. 
And yet here we are anyway with Mr. Mackey having to uh, sitting looking at an order having to report to prison in in January because he was convicted under this 1871 statute. This is where we are, and it's why we're asking we're asking your audience and others to consider giving to his legal defense at memedefensefund.com. Okay. So when I heard the story, I couldn't believe that that's all he did. There had, there had to be more to the story that we're not reporting on. So I'm looking at the justice.gov website. So this is the Department of Justice's own press release about this case. And that is indeed the only evidence they give. That is the only meme. That, that they talk about, that's the only problem they have with him uh, is, is this one tweet that he sent out. Now, there was something, I read the court document, there was something about, oh, he talked with another guy about the desire to suppress the black vote. So did that show some intent? Was he intending to actually be deceitful? Or was this just a funny joke? Because everyone's done that joke before where it's like, hey, election day, um, you know, uh, coming up here. If you're a Democrat, vote on Wednesday or whatever. If you're a Republican, vote on Wednesday, not Tuesday, whatever. We've all heard that. It's a dumb joke, right? And that's what this was, a dumb joke. Or was it something more, James? Was this, also, was this a, a large plot to suppress the black vote? Well, well so I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, one of the big pieces of the government's theory of this case is transcripts from group chats between um, the account at issue and others and conversations about various things that the government was able to get in at trial, various from the defense's standpoint, inflammatory things that were more prejudicial than, than probative of the issues that are at stake in the and the litigation itself, and to the extent any of those comments about, um, you know, identifying certain demographics and 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 the overall impact that could have on the election, uh, from the defense's standpoint, that's separate and apart from these memes. As we read the record, the government didn't put evidence on that showed that that the the memes themselves, when they were published, were actually intended to. Um, to, to prevent African-Americans from exercising their right to vote. And again, important, the government didn't produce a single witness that said that they did prevent them from, um, from exercising the right to vote. And in terms of the government's witness in this case, its star witness in this case, and this is another issue among many that this case presents under the Constitution. I've mentioned the First Amendment problem from the standpoint of criminalizing political speech. There's a Fifth Amendment problem with regard to using the statute to extend criminal liability uh, without giving fair notice to the public. So there's a due process problem under the Fifth Amendment. There's also a Sixth Amendment problem with the prosecution because all criminal defendants have the right to cross-examine the witnesses that are called against them in open court. I mean, this is bedrock stuff that has been settled in this country since the founding, it goes back to Sir Walter Raleigh, my hometown's namesake, being locked up in the Tower of London because he didn't get a chance to cross-examine his accusers. And in this case, Mike, the government put a witness up, a confidential witness up, who testified under shield, which, by the way, is a privilege that's typically 
reserved for people that are testifying against organized crime like MS-13 or the, or the mob. That's a problem in and of itself. But again, in, in terms of the Sixth Amendment problem, Mr. Mackey's defense could not cross-examine that confidential witness on the nature of the witness's ongoing relationship with the FBI. So it's a triple play of what? constitutional problems. The First, the Fifth, and the Sixth Amendment all all at stake in this and why it's so important that the appellate courts review this and ultimately Mr. Mackey gets to take this case to the Supreme Court yes. for review. Yes, of course. All right, hold the on. Second the... Circuit doesn't reverse. Okay, wait, what 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 was with the they couldn't cross examine and the the witness what is this word? Shielded? The witness what what are these they, things? They could they could cross yeah, so they so just stepping back there are two issues. So the, the witness that was called against Doug was a confidential witness, which means that the, the witness's identity was shielded from the public. Why? Typically based, based in, off what? Based off what? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And the reason was concerns about online harassment and violence. Oh, no, 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 no. You're telling me that they shielded a witness because they didn't want this witness to be embarrassed that they were stupid and actually texted the number? Is that, well, did, well, is, well, is that what this person the, did? Did they text the number? Not, not that the no, 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 not not that the witness was was stupid, but that the witness was one of the the individuals that was involved in this group chat with not Mr. Mackey allegedly okay. uh, uh, conspiring to interfere. That's with a little better, but rights. still, but still, why? Right, but, but, so, but, so this but, guy was in this group chat. Okay, you're you're now a witness about the group chat, and right, you have to come forward and and that was say that. And that, and that was Mr. Mackey's position, you know, at, at trial. Again, the default rule is that you have the right to cross-examine your accuser in open court, in public. And, and yet, for this aspect, this individual, this witness's identity uh, was shielded. But, but again, in terms of the cross-examine right, it wasn't that Mr. Mackey's defense couldn't cross-examine the confidential witness at all but they were limited in being able to cross-examine the witness on the nature of the witness's ongoing relationship with the FBI. There's another piece of this, Mike, that your audience needs to know about, and, and that is the Southern Poverty Law Center's involvement. So okay. shortly, shortly before, and I don't know if you were going to get to this or not, but Mr. Mackey had, um, had prepared to call an expert witness to testify in his defense at trial regarding the uh, culture of memeing, um, what the environment was like online in 2016 in the run-up to the uh, presidential election. Um, shortly before that, uh, that testimony was going to be aired, a, a journalist connected with that organization um, essentially reached out to the witness and inquired as to whether or not the witness had informed his employer of his uh, desire to testify in this case. Um, the witness, who is employed by a public university, um, then, then withdrew from being a, an, an expert witness, um, which just is another thing that adds to the, um, the intrigue and really the, the, the problems that are around this case that, that Mr. That, that Mr. Mackey could not put on a, 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 a from 
from, again, the defensive standpoint, a key defense witness because of the third-party interference with his right uh, to exercise his constitutional rights to put on a Well, so if you're just tuning in now, this guy was on Twitter, 58,000 followers. He tweeted out a meme, and it said, uh, avoid the lines, vote for vote at home, text Hillary to 959925 or whatever. And uh, that's not a real thing. And uh, he got seven months in jail for it. Um, James, was did he or anyone set up anything to that website like, like, or that phone number? Like, did, um, like what happens if you did text? So uh, 4,900 people actually did text that number or text Hillary to 9559, whatever. Did anything happen beyond that? Did he go a step further towards his grand deceit and suppression of the black vote? I, I, you know, I, I don't recall offhand, Mike, what happened when um, an individual texted that number. Um, you know, it, and again, the government, the government's theory of, of prosecution was that they didn't have to show that anybody didn't vote because, again, the, the, the alleged conspiracy, the alleged meeting the minds, the desire to uh, interfere with the right to vote from their vantage point was enough. Um, but, it, you know, but again... But again, I mean, the, the government had the ability to go and, and track the the phone numbers down that, that texted that number, and they weren't able to produce a single person that said, you know what, I actually didn't. I stayed at home, or I didn't exercise yeah, yeah, my yeah. right to engage in any of the early home voting. Because yeah, I thought, I I thought, thought it worked. When I texted that number, I had participated in our democracy. Yeah, I thought that was my vote, yeah. Okay, so 4,900 people texted. So we don't know... Uh, that could be anything that could be uh, that could be like his buddies who are like, Oh, I wonder what happens. Or it could be people in the media who are just like, huh, like, let's see, let's see what it is. Or it could be anything. We don't know right, that it was right. dumb black people who didn't know how to vote and thought they did. But then that's the accusation though. He's suppressing the black vote. We don't, we don't know what, who those people were. So I, let me flip it around. If they didn't, if the government didn't have to prove that these were people whose votes were actually suppressed or they thought they were suppressed, did his lawyers take the effort to find any of the people and have them come and testify and say, oh, I'm one of the guys who texted the number. I was just, I thought it was funny. And I just texted to see what it was. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't recall whether the defense team did that at trial or not. Um, they, you know, again, again, I mean, it's the government's burden of proof beyond reasonable doubt, right? And, and they did not, they didn't put any of those individuals up on the stand. And to your point about the media um, raising attention to this, I think there were a significant number of these messages that were texted in after the press started to run stories on it. And, and of course, people just out of curiosity, right? Hey, what, what happens when I text this number? If they saw the story would do it. And so, there, there is a, 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 a chunk of those numbers that were people that that were texting after they saw that on, you know, on the press and or in the press. And, and again, I mean, it, come on. Right. Did, did anybody who saw that natively on Twitter being retweeted, for example, with a with a a cartoonish Ricky Vaughn avatar wearing a MAGA hat? Think that that 
somehow was an official communication from the Hillary camp, uh, Clinton campaign, yeah. separate and apart from the, the 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 radical notion that you could text your your vote to yeah. that number in the first place. Yeah, no, it's absurd. So it's just, so, just hence an the extraordinary joke. prosecution in okay. every sense. My last question for you: um, This happened. In, so I'm reading the story, and I was like, "Geez, it's so bizarre! Like, it's crazy. How could this happen?" And then it hit me a little while later. Wait a second. It's Hillary. This is the 2016 campaign. This isn't 2020. This was seven years ago. What the heck took so long? When was he charged with a crime? He, he, he was charged shortly after President Biden was sworn into office. Come on. So, the, so, so, he was, he was, so he went, did he even know for four years prior, like during the whole Trump presidency, that this was a problem, that he was under investigation? Was there any, did he have any tip off that, hey man, you may get in big trouble because of that tweet you sent out four years ago? If if he did, it was it, it was very very late in in the, in the Trump administration. And again, he was not uh, he was not uh, the, the prosecution really did not formally until the, the the new president took took office shortly after his inauguration. And, My... and and importantly, again for your audience to know, people have pointed this out uh, repeatedly. Um, there were similar memes. There were similar communications that were being made in the run-up to the 2016 election, inviting Donald Trump supporters to text their vote. Of course, it's a dumb, it's a dumb vote. Yeah, it's a dumb, it's a dumb joke. Yeah, yeah. So, so he did something four years ago that now the Department of Justice felt was such a problem, so bad, so criminal that they needed to go after him uh, from something four years ago. That's that's terrifying. So last question for you. I think I already said last question. But so again, this is conspiracy against rights. This is all ringing a bell. Is it wasn't Trump charged with conspiracy against rights? With one of one of his. I I, I believe that is one of the charges that the former president's facing in his case in in D.C. that's being brought by Jack Smith and, and others. And that's why, again, Mike, I mean, that's why we have to head this theory of prosecution off at the past. They, they're starting the canary in the coal mine was Mr. Mackey. And in his speech on Twitter, the government now is applying it to former President Trump and in their uh, efforts to uh, put him in prison. And really, I mean, the the limit, there is no limiting principle to no. the government's theory of prosecution in this case. I mean, it, it, it really could, can be extended to any speech that the powers that be deem to be mis or disinformation at any particular time. And it's a path that we can't go down. And again, it's why we're asking your audience to go to memedefensefund.com to give Doug's legal team and, 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 the, and the attorneys that are working on the appeal now the tools that they need to head this theory off of the path so it's not weaponized against other law-abiding Americans. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, this is uh, straight up Gulag Archipelago ripping people from their homes and saying, um, what, what, "What are you charging me with?" Oh, uh, conspiracy against rights. What's your proof? Don't need it. Don't need any. We don't need to prove that you caused any harm at all. That's that we just we chart. That's that's some crazy stuff. All right, James Lawrence, what's the uh, website again? People want to learn more about the case. Yeah, it's memedefensefund.com. Yeah, crazy. Okay. Appreciate it. James, thank you very much, sir.
My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, that is. Uh, am I am I off on that? Am I off? <laughs> I'm like, whoa. I thought, and listen, I like to give benefit of the doubt to to everyone involved here, right? So I was like, oh, maybe you know, maybe this website's not giving the full story on uh, on this case. But you read the Department of Justice's press release. That's their claim. That's it. Their claim is that he sent out this meme, and that is a conspiracy against rights. He's seven months in jail. Listen, I, we've said this a hundred times, that you, you're going to break the law today. You're going to break the law a hundred times today. You're going to tailgate someone or whatever. They'll get, they can get you. If they want to get you, they'll get you. If they want to get you, they'll get you. Four years ago, you sent out some tweet. You don't even remember. Four years ago, you sent out some tweet about COVID. And it was misinformation. And, uh, and they're going to try you now. They're going to put you in jail. Because they can. Conspiracy against rights. Wow, that's wild. Okay, I, I guess I couldn't stop thinking about that case. And I don't know if I will. And I think we'll all be more familiar with it as time goes on, as it becomes even more relevant to all of our lives. I'm American made. I got American parts. Hey, thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Goodness, we have a lot more to do tomorrow. Um, there's also a story, all the, you know, all the news stuff. There's also a story of Matthew Perry that... Uh, I really want to share um, about life and fame and money and how money's going to solve all your problems, and it won't. It absolutely won't. And there's so many examples of this, and Matthew Perry is another one. He would have told you. He did. He told us so. Not too long ago, actually. We'll share that and many other stories on tomorrow's show. Breitbart News Daily, Sirius XM Patriot 125.